I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Happy Saturday. Recently on the show, we talked about Ellen Swallow Richards. And one of the things that came up in that episode was the eugenics movement. The eugenics movement has come up several times on the show over the last year or so, and every time we've tried to give kind of a straightforward but also very brief explanation of what that movement was all about. But that is really not something you can just be thorough or nuanced about in a couple of sentences. We do have a whole episode about this, though, which came out on August 9th, 2017, and it is today's Saturday Classic. One of the things we talk about in this episode is people being pressured or coerced into sterilization after forced sterilization programs were generally ended in the U.S. There have been additional allegations of this in the years since we recorded this episode, including in 2020, when migrant women who were held by ICE at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia reported that they had been given hysterectomies or other invasive procedures without their full knowledge or consent. We usually say enjoy at the end of this intro, but this episode involves just a particularly infuriating and upsetting period of history. So instead, we hope your day is going well. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Several episodes of our show have touched on the progressive era in the United States, and this spanned from the late 19th into the early 20th centuries. The progressive era was really focused on trying to make society better and to counteract the downsides of industrialization and urbanization and rapid growth. So just as examples, we've talked about people like Jane Addams, known as the mother of social work, and we've talked about movements for women's suffrage, temperance, and organized labor. And the temperance movement did lead to prohibition, which was a spectacular failure. But other than that, these episodes have 
generally talked about overall positive reforms in education and public health and workplace safety and human rights. But the progressive era also had a focus on making humanity better through eugenics. Coined by English anthropologist Sir Francis Galton in 1883, eugenics began with positive eugenics, and this was encouraging the people who were considered the healthiest and the most intelligent to have more children for the betterment of the species. But in a few countries, including the United States, the focus turned toward negative eugenics or stopping people who were considered not as good from reproducing. Spurred by the same fears and prejudices and societal issues that were driving the progressive movement in general, the eugenics movement in the United States focused on identifying, sequestering, and even sterilizing people who were deemed to be unfit. So today we're going to talk about a family who became a case study for the eugenics movement, purportedly providing evidence for the idea that feeble-mindedness was an inherited trait and that it would be best to keep people who had that trait from reproducing. This family is known as the Calicacs. And just as a note, uh, a lot of the language that was used to talk about disability at this time was insulting, and we're going to be reading from and referring to a bunch of material that's just offensive. So anytime we say feeble-minded or unfit or similar words, like that's in air quotes. These are not real things <laughs> to describe people. Right. Also, heads up, it's a little longy. It's a little longer than normal. Yeah. This. Uh, so if you're one of the runners who listens and you time your run to the episode, <laughs> if you go the whole way, you've gone too far. Probably so. And that's uh, probably the last jesty thing you'll hear in this episode. Yeah. 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 So in 1912, the Macmillan Company published a book by Henry Herbert Goddard, director of the research laboratory at the Vineland Training School for Backward and Feeble-Minded Children in Vineland, New Jersey. It was called The Calicac Family, a study in the heredity of feeble-mindedness. It was just one in a whole genre of literature called Eugenic Family Studies. The first book in this genre was The Jukes, a study in crime, pauperism, disease, and heredity. And this book was by Richard Dugdale. Dugdale's study came about after he visited the Ulster County Jail in New York and learned that six people who were incarcerated there were related to each other. Looking into it further, Dugdale found more family members who had arrests and convictions on their records, and he traced more of the lineage all the way back to a woman that he dubbed Margaret the Mother of Criminals. He found 42 connected families with 540 of their 709 members' blood relatives. According to Dugdale's estimate, their combined criminal proceedings, social assistance, and health care had cost a total of about $1.3 million. A second book by Arthur H. Estabrook at the Eugenics Record Office came out in 1915, and this traced another 2,111 family members who he described as rife with, quote, feeble-mindedness, indolence, licentiousness, and dishonesty, and costing taxpayers about $2 million. Goddard's study of the Calicacs followed Dugdale's original book on the Jukes, and like Jukes, Calicacs was pseudonym, was a portmanteau of the Greek words kalos for beauty, and cacos for bad. According to Goddard's account, 
Deborah Kalakak had been born in an almshouse and had arrived at the Vineland School at the age of eight. Her mother had been through a convoluted series of relationships and marriages and had given birth to several children, both in and out of wedlock. And according to Goddard, no man in her life was willing to support the young Deborah. Goddard maintained that from her admission at the school in October 1897 until 1911, when he was compiling his study, Deborah had never tested above the age of nine on an intelligence scale. He described her as, quote, a high-grade, feeble-minded person, the kind of wayward delinquent who, quote, fills our reformatories, generally causing trouble and creating a burden on society. So, feeble-minded was a catch-all term used at the time to describe people who were, in one way or another, behind their peers. It included everything from mental illnesses to disabilities and disorders that were noticeable but not necessarily severe. A person described as feeble-minded might be able to take care of their own day-to-day needs while struggling with social interactions or academic skills or physical skills, was considered to be a precise, medically and scientifically sound description at the time, but it is definitely not one we would use today to describe a disability, disorder, or condition. Goddard also coined a new word to describe people who fit this definition. That word was moron, defined as one who is lacking in intelligence, one who is deficient in judgment or sense. And, like feeble-minded, moron was adopted as an actual clinical term. Goddard claimed he had traced Deborah's ancestry all the way back to her great-great-great-grandfather, who he dubbed Martin Kalakak Sr. Martin Sr. was described as having fathered a child with an unnamed, feeble-minded barmaid, Deborah's great-great-great-grandmother. This barmaid's descendants were a family of, quote, an appalling amount of defectiveness. But then, Martin Sr. turned his life around and married a, quote, respectable girl of good family. His descendants from this marriage were, in Goddard's words, quote, respectable citizens, men and women prominent in every phase of life. As printed in the book, the Kalakak lineage, with its beautiful half and its bad half, was accompanied by family trees emblazoned with N's and F's for normal and feeble-minded, with N's in white and F's in black, along with notations of which ones were sexually immoral, insane, syphilitic, or criminalistic. All of these are words that Goddard used. And the results are striking. One half of the tree depicting the descendants of Martin Sr.'s children with the upstanding Quaker woman he married is full of, quote, normal people, flawlessly white. And then the other half depicting the descendants of Martin's son with the unnamed barmaid is dotted all over with black Fs with notations of undesirable traits all over the place. There are also photographs, both of Deborah in her day-to-day life and of the bad Calicacs and their homes. The photos of Deborah are clearly posed, and they show an attractive young woman in a variety of day-to-day scenarios. The photos of the other Calicacs look like they could have inspired the X-Files episode Home. Uh, The buildings are all very ramshackle, the people's posture is slouchy, and the facial expressions and features are oddly atypical. In Goddard's words, quote, how do we account for this kind of individual? The answer is, in a word, heredity, bad stock. 
We must recognize that the human family shows varying stocks or strains that are marked and that breed as true as anything in plant or animal life. Citing Gregor Mendel's theories on hereditary traits, Goddard goes on to advocate that normal, healthy society keep the feeble-minded from breeding and spreading their inherited deficiencies. He suggests a combination of segregation into institutions or colonies and sterilization. We will talk about the colossal influence of this book after a quick sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. The Kallikak family, a study in the heredity of feeble-mindedness, became enormously influential. It was an immediate bestseller and was reprinted more than 10 times between 1912 and 1939. Although the book did have some critics, a number of academic journals, including the American Journal of Psychology and the Journal of the American Institute of Criminal Law and Criminology, gave it glowingly positive reviews. Both Kalakak and Juke became slang terms for people thought of as unintelligent, backward, and inbred. 
The book's conclusions were also widely accepted as scientific truth, and this was in spite of this admission printed in its introduction. Quote, It is true that we have made rather dogmatic statements and have drawn conclusions that do not seem scientifically warranted from the data. We have done this because it seems necessary to make these statements and conclusions for the benefit of the lay reader. Soon, the Calicacs were being cited in mainstream biology and psychology textbooks. If you've heard our podcast on the Scopes trial, you might recall that we read from a civic biology presented in Problems, and that was the widely used biology textbook that was part of that case. Chapter 17 of the 1914 edition, titled Heredity, Variation, Plant, and Animal Breeding, explains the term eugenics before discussing both the Calicacs and the Jukes. Uh, It basically boils down the idea of eugenics to the science of being well-born. In its discussion of the Jukes, the book mentions Margaret, mother of criminals, the more than $1 million tax cost to the state of New York, and the large number of, quote, feeble-minded, alcoholic, immoral, or criminal persons that were purportedly in the family. It then moves on to the Calicacs, quote, This family has been traced back to the War of the Revolution when a young soldier named Martin Calicac seduced a feeble-minded girl. She had a feeble-minded son from whom there have been, to the present time, 480 descendants. Of these, 33 were sexually immoral, 24 confirmed drunkards, 3 epileptics, and 143 feeble-minded. The man who started this terrible line of immorality and feeble-mindedness later married a normal Quaker girl. From this couple, a line of 496 descendants have come, with no cases of feeble-mindedness. The evidence and the moral speak for themselves. A civic biology goes on to say that if people were animals, we would probably just, quote, kill them off to prevent them from spreading. It goes on to explain, quote, Humanity will not allow this, but we do have the remedy of separating the sexes in asylums or other places and in various ways preventing intermarriage and the possibilities of perpetuating such a low and degenerate race. Through the Calicac family and other books and propaganda, the idea that defective people needed to be kept from breeding became common knowledge. And in the early decades of the 20th century, more than 30 states passed laws allowing and regulating the involuntary sterilization of people who were deemed to be feeble-minded or otherwise unfit. Often, sterilization involved a vasectomy or tubal ligation, but could also be as involved as a total hysterectomy. Many of these laws were patterned after a model law drafted by Harry H. Laughlin of the Eugenics Record Office at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, who was one of Goddard's colleagues within the eugenics movement. Goddard himself consulted with states on their eugenics laws as well. Basically, states kept passing laws that were not being upheld in court, and so these guys got together to draft a law that would be upheld as constitutional. In 1927, one of these laws made its way to the Supreme Court in Buck v. Bell. Carrie Buck had been committed to the Virginia colony for epileptics and feeble-minded, and she was sterilized there. Carrie, her mother, and her daughter were all described as feeble-minded, and Carrie and her mother were both described as immoral and promiscuous because they had had children out of wedlock. The Calicac family was entered into evidence in this case. Harry H. Laughlin provided expert testimony. Dr. Estabrook, the one who revised the study of the Jukes family, did as well. 
The Supreme Court found Virginia's eugenics law to be constitutional and upheld it with the opinion authored by Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., including the sentence, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough. Involuntary sterilizations were also being performed on people convicted of crimes, but this generally ended after the Supreme Court ruled in Skinner v. Oklahoma in 1942. States had been sterilizing people convicted of some felonies, but not others, and the court ruled that this was a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. But Buck v. Bell has never been overturned, meaning that the Supreme Court never officially reversed its decision on sterilization of people who were not convicted of a crime. Involuntary sterilizations of supposedly unfit people continued into the, in the United States until the 1970s, at which point at least 60,000 people had been involuntarily sterilized, predominantly women. While there have been calls for reparations, North Carolina is the only state so far to pass legislation to do so. The idea of keeping bloodlines free from the taint of feeble-mindedness also went hand-in-hand with the idea of keeping white bloodlines racially pure. Many of the same people who helped states write eugenics laws relating to the unfit also worked on legislation to protect white racial purity at the state and national level. For example, Harry H. Laughlin was a huge proponent of the Immigration Restriction Act of 1924, which set quotas on immigration based on how many people already in the United States hailed from a particular place. So it allowed the most immigration from nations that were already the most similar to white Americans, which was Northwest Europe. It allowed almost no immigration from Africa and barred immigration from Asia entirely. The Immigration Act was also influenced by Henry H. Goddard's work at Ellis Island, where he had set up an intelligence testing center to evaluate incoming immigrants and turn away the ones deemed insufficient in the 19-teens. In his work, Intelligence Classification of Immigrants of Different Nationalities, he claimed that 40% of immigrants were feeble-minded, including 83% of Jews, 79% of Italians, 80% of Hungarians, and 87% of Russians. These evaluations began with one tester identifying probable cases by sight and then referring the people she spotted to her colleague for an assessment. Goddard employed women for this purpose because he thought their intuition was better for it. As another example, Harry H. Laughlin also helped draft Virginia's Racial Integrity Act of 1924, which defined race according to the one-drop rule, meaning that anyone who had one drop of African or Native American blood was considered Black or Native American by law. The only exception was for people who were one-sixteenth or less Native American, and this exception was to allow prominent Virginians purportedly descended from Pocahontas to still be considered legally white. This act also prohibited interracial marriage, and there is more on it in our two-part podcast on Loving versus Virginia from 2013. In addition to the sterilizations of the unfit that were codified in state's eugenics laws, There were also involuntary and coerced sterilizations of poor people and racial and ethnic minorities, including Native Americans, Mexican Americans, and African Americans, stretching all the way into the 1970s. Because these were not conducted under any particular law or official program, the exact numbers are harder to estimate. 
In many cases, these sterilizations were performed in conjunction with other procedures and without the patient's knowledge. This practice was so prevalent in the South that it was nicknamed a Mississippi appendectomy. That was either coined or popularized by Fannie Lou Hamer, who is on the list for a future podcast episode. As with Buck versus Bell and the forced sterilizations of people considered unfit, cases regarding the forced or coerced sterilizations of minorities have also made their way through the courts. Two black teenagers, Mary Alice and Minnie Ralph, were sterilized without their parents' consent in 1973. Their mother, who was not literate, had believed she was signing a consent form for birth control shots. And when the case made headlines, many more Black and Native American women became coming, began coming forward with similar allegations. In his opinion on Ralph versus Weinberger, Judge Gerhard Gessel of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia wrote that federal programs had funded the sterilization of 100,000 to 150,000 low-income women during the previous few years. He went on, quote, Although Congress has been insistent that all family planning programs function on a purely voluntary basis, there is uncontroverted evidence in the record that minors and other incompetents have been sterilized with federal funds and that an indefinite number of poor people have been improperly coerced into accepting a sterilization operation under the threat that various federally supported welfare benefits would be withdrawn unless they submitted to irreversible sterilization. In another case, Madrigal versus Quilligan was a class action lawsuit with 10 plaintiffs who alleged that Los Angeles County USC Medical Center had either coerced or misled them into being sterilized during a cesarean section, with the option being presented to them after hours of difficult labor. Nearly 150 Spanish-speaking women had come forward with similar allegations. In 1978, Judge Jesse W. Curtis ruled in favor of the hospital, calling it, quote, a breakdown in communications between the patients and the doctors. And although the plaintiffs didn't win in this case, it did ultimately lead to laws requiring Spanish-speaking staff to explain procedures and obtain consent from Spanish-speaking patients. Coerced sterilizations have also continued well beyond the 1970s. Buck versus Bell was cited as precedent in the 2001 case Vaughn versus Utz, heard in the Eighth Circuit Court, in which a social service worker at a hospital coerced a woman who had been diagnosed with a mild intellectual disability into getting a tubal ligation by telling her that it would help her regain custody of her children. A 2013 report by the Center for Investigative Reporting detailed the sterilizations of at least 148 incarcerated women in California prisons, which had been performed without the required state approvals. Even though California banned forced sterilizations in 1979, numerous women described being coerced and pressured into the procedure while incarcerated. And in July 2017, News Channel 5 in Tennessee reported that General Sessions Judge Sam Benningfield allowed incarcerated people who either got a vasectomy or a contraceptive implant to get a 30-day credit toward their jail time. Judge Benningfield rescinded this order on July 26th after it made headlines. While the story of the Calicax was just one part of the eugenics movement, the studies of the Calicax, the Jukes, and other families were widely cited. 
heavily used pieces of evidence of the eugenicists' idea that it was better to keep so-called defectives from breeding, and by extension, that sterilization could be used to help guarantee white racial purity. And the same people writing books about the Calicacs and the Jukes were actively working with lawmakers to create policies to do exactly that. The book's influence spread beyond the United States as well. A German-language translation of the Kalakak family was printed in Germany in 1914, and it was reprinted in 1933. Germany's own eugenics law, Law for the Prevention of Hereditarily Diseased Offspring, was passed in 1933 as well, and was also based on Harry H. Lachlan's model law that was being used as a template in the United States. And it wasn't just a matter of Nazi Germany picking up and repurposing Lachlan's work. Lachlan actively corresponded with eugenicists in Germany, writing in one of his letters how pleased he was that Hitler understood that, quote, the central mission of all politics is race hygiene. In Nazi Germany, more than 150,000 Germans with disabilities were involuntarily sterilized under this eugenics law between 1934 and 1939. In 1939, the focus shifted from sterilization to extermination, and 80,000 disabled Germans were murdered in a little less than two years. It was only in the face of this atrocity that the eugenics movement in the United States started to fall out of favor, although the sterilizations that the movement had advocated have continued for decades. On top of being used to support policies that led to involuntary sterilizations and, in Nazi Germany, murders, much of the story of the Calicacs wasn't even true. And we're going to talk more about that after a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel 
for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Henry H. Goddard began publicly refuting his previous opinions about the, quote, feeble-minded and eugenics beginning in the late 1920s and into the 1930s. He made a number of public statements that his intelligence testing had been incorrect and that he had been wrong to believe that feeble-minded people could not be educated and that feeble-minded people should be allowed to have children if they chose and should not be segregated from the rest of society. But this reversal came too late to stop the eugenics movement or even to change the life of the star of his most famous work. Deborah Kalakak was really Emma Wolverton, and she really did arrive at the Vineland School in 1897 at the age of eight. And it's not clear if there was a specific reason for her to be institutionalized. Although the book does seem to have embellished her mother's life and relationships, it's very likely that it boiled down to poverty. Even the wording in the book is really cagey here. Quote, On the plea that the child did not get along at school and might possibly be feeble-minded, she gained admission to the training school. But by the time Goddard published The Kalakak Family, the Vineland School and Goddard himself were using Emma as an example of a success story for the school. In addition to being in the book, her picture and that pseudonym appear in the school's reports and fundraising materials as a shining example of their work. When she was transferred to a facility for adults across the street at the age of 25, her, quote, acquisition was viewed as a success for them. A social worker described it this way, quote, Deborah at this time was a handsome young woman, 25 years old with many accomplishments, though her academic progress had remained stationary just beyond second grade. For our part, we knew we had acquired distinction in acquiring Deborah Kalakak, for by this time the story of her pedigree was becoming well known, and such a capable, well-trained, and good-looking girl must be an asset. In terms of well-trained, Emma Wolverton was excellent at embroidery, woodworking, basketry, and gardening. She made and repaired costumes for the school plays, was in charge of the Vineland School's kindergarten, and worked as a nurse's aide in the school's hospital. She also played the coronet beautifully, was an avid reader and a devoted correspondent, and bred Persian cats. In her adulthood, visitors to her institution often mistook her for a staff member, she distinguished herself to the point that she was allowed to work for the family of Vineland's superintendent along with others in the community. And to be clear, although working for the superintendent's family was, pra- was framed as a privilege and a reward, all of this work was actually compulsory. 
It's difficult to diagnose historical figures who aren't alive to be examined. And this is even more difficult in Emma Wolverton's case, since her school records are often contradictory, and the institutions caring for her had a vested self-interest in people simultaneously believing that she needed to be institutionalized, while also demonstrating a success story in terms of what the institution could accomplish. But by cross-referencing school records with witness accounts, modern research suggests that she probably had a learning disability. Whether she had a disability or what that disability was has no bearing on her worth as a human being, but it's clear that the institutions housing her were using her for their own ends and that her portrayal in the book that made her famous was far from the truth. The photos of Emma Wolverton in the Kalikak family clearly serve to show her as both a success and a warning. She's neatly dressed, either shown in association with something productive, like sewing or serving a meal, or with something considered intelligent, like reading a book. These are in contrast with the photos of the Kalikaks in their homes, which are clearly meant to suggest something nefarious. The pictures of the other Kalikaks have definitely been retouched, and there's some debate about whether that retouching served to deliberately exaggerate them or just to prepare them for publication. Regardless, the book is making a very clear implication and a very clear value judgment on all the Kalikaks based on their physical appearance and their surroundings. It's that without the constant care, supervision, and custody in an institution, Emma Wolverton would have been just another degenerate living in a hovel. And without keeping her segregated from society, she would have just made more of them. However... That dichotomy between Emma Wolverton and the rest of the family or between the family's, quote, good and bad branches just doesn't add up. The bad line of Martin Kalikak Sr.'s descendants purportedly begins with Martin Jr. That was really John Wolverton. John Wolverton was the son of Gabriel Wolverton and Catherine Murray. But the Kalikak study presents his father as a different John Wolverton, just thus the Martin Sr. and Martin Jr. But according to a genealogy of the family that was published in the 1980s, the second John Wolverton was not his father. They were second cousins. So the book's entire premise is not correct. In addition to the two John Wolvertons not being father and son, Both parts of the family really had their share of troubles, as every family does. But Goddard and field worker Elizabeth S. Kite had set out to compile their study with the goal of finding a hereditary thread for feeble-mindedness. So, consciously or unconsciously, when piecing together the history of the family members, some of whom had long since died, they ignored evidence of people in the good line who they might have described as feeble-minded, and they flagged people in the bad line based on just the thinnest of evidence. A lot of this was based on stuff like family gossip. Which is very scientific. Right. They would interview elderly family members about people on the other side of the family, and folks would be like, oh, yeah, he was totally a drunk. (laughs) So that person would be marked down as feeble-minded, even though if you looked at things like tax records and property records, it seemed as though this person was like a landowner, Not bothering anyone. Perfectly living their life just fine. So in reality, going back to the 18th century, the Wolvertons were overall not particularly affluent, but mostly self-sufficient farmers living in rural New Jersey. 
In the late 19th century, industrialization and urbanization led several of them to move from the country to Trenton and other cities. As with so many other people who moved from the country to the city during this time, they found themselves in an unfamiliar environment with a totally different social structure and economy and without a lot of resources or education. So when they lost jobs, as Emma's mother, for example, did, they no longer had an extended family network nearby to turn to for support, instead often winding up in jail or in a poorhouse, So this was definitely not something that could be explained by some kind of hereditary taint. Similarly, some of Arthur H. Estabrook's papers containing the Jukes family's real names were found in the early 21st century. And it turned out that many of them were respected citizens of Ulster County, New York. Their existence had conveniently been ignored in Estabrook's study. Emma Wolverton died at the age of 89 in 1978. She knew that she had been written about as Deborah Kalakak and that she had been used as a widely read and even famous example of a, quote, high-grade, feeble-minded person. It's not really clear whether she knew that 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 depiction had been at the heart of the eugenics movement or what that had ultimately meant. She was offered the chance to leave the institution toward the end of her life, but she didn't feel that she could because at that point she developed severe arthritis and she really needed a lot of medical care. She spent the last year of her life in a hospital, and at the time of her death, she had been institutionalized for 81 years. I normally say something to wrap up here. (laughs) Uh, But mostly, this whole episode makes me incredibly angry. Yeah. Like, it's the magical combination, right, of like, uh, poorly executed, biased science, and I'm using the air quotes there, used to, uh, one, work this whole, like, superiority angle that is gross, as well as really damage the lives of people without their consent. And most of those people were women. Yeah. And, like, even the more the positive eugenics angle that we referenced very briefly at the beginning of the show, like, even that is founded on the idea that some people are better than others and that the better people should have the most babies, which, yeah. like, that might sound okay at a surface level, but pretty quickly falls apart when you think about, like, who's deciding who is worthy of having right. more babies. Um My mom worked with people with a range of disabilities for a lot of her career. And it's like there are definitely complicated moral and ethical questions when people are capable of having a child, but genuinely not necessarily capable of taking care of a child. Right. These conversations do not include things like telling a woman if she has her tubes tied, she can get her kids back. Right. That. Nothing like that. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday. Since this episode is out of the archive, if you heard an email address or a Facebook URL or something similar over the course of the show, that could be obsolete now. Our current email address is historypodcast at iheartradio.com. Our old How Stuff Works email address no longer works. You can find us all over social media at Missed in History. 
And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.